0: Hi everybody, welcome to the Council's podcast, Teaching Today. Each month we'll speak to experts from the education sector for insight and discussion on issues and ideas. It's a podcast about teachers, with teachers and for teachers.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the Teaching Council's podcast. My name is David Bellum. Our topic today is what is the role of sport in education? Is there too much sport in education? Is there too little? How does uh, success on the sports field translate to success in the classroom? What about children who aren't interested in sports, or teachers for that matter? I've got three experts in the field sitting here in the studio with me today. Um, I'd like you all to introduce yourselves, please, and just tell me briefly what your role is in sports and education. I'll start here on my left with
2: Gary. Uh, thanks, David. Gary Carnahan. I'm um, currently the Executive Director of New Zealand Secondary School Sports Council. Previously a long time in teaching, including when I finished in teaching, I was a principal of a secondary school in Taranaki and have been working in sports since then, including in the Sport and Education Project, which we um, instigated along with sports at Sport New Zealand back in 2012.
0: I'm uh, I'm Celia, Celia Fleck, and I'm currently a PE curriculum facilitator, so that's employed by University of Auckland, but based here in Wellington. So after 19 years teaching in, in secondary school and in health and physical education, I'm now um, sitting alongside a couple of projects that Sport NZ are funding. So one being Play.Sport which is where I provide a lot of PE curriculum support for primary, intermediate and secondary schools. So it's really interesting now looking across that whole primary and intermediate and secondary space and getting familiar with with that and um, also Sport and Education as, as Gary mentioned. So when in my last three years in secondary school I was one of the project leaders and now I'm supporting schools throughout the country with the sport and education. And I guess my other hat is with Penn's Physical Education New Zealand, so oh. thanks for having me. In.
3: Kia ora koutou, Alyssa Murdoch. I'm currently at Avalon and Tibet. I'm a classroom teacher. I'm a team leader. Prior to that, I was 15 years at Taita College, and the last six of those as head of PE and health. And in my role at Avalon, I'm, I've am just been appointed as the across-school teacher in our tighter Stokes Valley Kahui course, so that means I'm working with seven schools in our cluster as uh, the conduit really between principal leads and achievement challenges and what's happening in schools. But in my classroom teacher role I'm taking over, I guess, leading sport in ed inness in a primary setting with the year seven and eights.
1: Thank you, thank you all. You're obviously all keen advocates of sports and education but what makes it so important why do kids come to school and learn about sport rather than for example the things more traditionally associated with education the three r's
2: i think you know it's not so much learning about sport david it's um sport provides a, a double-edged opportunity really one is to learn through sport so what can sport teach us and if you think about right from the start you look at the front end of the curriculum around participating and contributing and relating to others sport certainly a, a vehicle in a context which can people can learn through. And then there's learning in sport, so if you take part in sport and learn to be part of a team and leadership and a whole lot of the uh, characteristics that are necessary to be part of a sporting team, then a lot of those things are transferable skills to classrooms, to work, to home, to everywhere else. So it's not so much learning about sport, uh, it's learning in sport and learning through sport.
0: Yeah, no, well, I'd agree with that view. I think sometimes, though, we have to be careful with with the language and how other people hear things. And so, to me, sport is that motivating and engaging context, but um, a lot of the time, especially if it's in curriculum, that's going to be delivered through curriculum learning areas. So physical education will use it as a context or other curriculum areas might use it as a context. We have to be careful about how we're positioning sport and that people aren't mistaking sport for for a curriculum as such.
1: Well, that's a very good point. I mean, it's, it's easy to see how sport fits into a PE class as part of the curriculum, but how, for example, does it fit into a maths class. Alisa, you've been um, working in the sport and education program in your own school. What's your view?
3: Yeah, I would definitely um, piggyback the, the last two comments. So contextualised learning, which may mean that that maths class looks at, you know, a, where we're measuring um, not your desk that you're sitting at, but you're going and measuring um, the network court, uh, the sub boxes for touch or marking or a kiorahi field and doing the ge- geometry of kiorahi. So I would definitely say contextualise learning and then the active learning side of physical activity and where kids are. And it may be more sport, but it's certainly not at the expense of any academic learning um, per se because it's alongside. long um, and you're sitting at the wrong table if you don't think it's um, as important as any other learning that's happening in the, in the school. So the mass class um, would be contextualised for it in a, in a sporting context, so that it's making meaning for kids, so that when we're doing measurement, shapes, distances, uh, we're not randomly picking some stats that mm. come out of a textbook. We're going out and we're measuring heart rates, we're measuring big test results, perhaps, um, or laps or lengths, and we're making real meaning for kids through sp- through sport in I'm going to add physical activity as well, not just the sport.
1: Yeah, it's a slightly different thing though, isn't it? You, you, can, you can introduce sport into the curriculum by measuring a netball court instead of measuring, measuring your desk, but that's perhaps a different thing from inserting it into the curriculum as something which may indeed displace some of the more traditional areas. How do you stop that from happening?
2: I think that's probably uh, a less common approach uh, to having actually sport as a curriculum subject. And most schools would view it as co-curricular, um, particularly in the secondary space. A number of schools do insert sport into their curriculum and have uh, either academies or high-performance approaches or sports studies classes, um, which are really no different than a lot of other things that are inserted into the optional uh, curriculum, at particularly secondary schools. But yeah, we're talking about sport as a context, as um, for learning, as a. Um, a way of introducing active pedagogies. Um, some of the stuff that happens in PE, you know, pound for pound, PE teachers have the best pedagogy. In most schools I've ever been associated with, you know, Where it's basically kids working in teams, clear demonstrations, uh, immediate feedback. You know, you could probably sit in the back of my maths class, not be able to solve a quadratic equation, and, I'd, and hopefully I'd notice at some point. You can't do something physically. You're a physically teacher. At, yeah. Okay. And a PE teacher, um, but you can't. Do, it's in PE, it's a, you know. The ability to demonstrate a is pretty overt. It happens in front of your eyes and the feedback, you know, which we know is so important, um, is pretty immediate and direct. Teachers in PE, they tend to teach in um, large spaces together, so you've got some collaborative uh, work going on. So a lot of the pedagogies, um, particularly the active pedagogies that happen in physical education, I think are very transferable to to classroom situations and other subjects. A teacher I know very well who um, spends a lot of time with me. My wife is a maths teacher. A lot of the stuff's rubbed off on her, and I just guess as a practical example, seeing Alyssa was teaching maths, she was teaching gradients of straight lines, straight line geometry, and just took her kids out on the netball court. They had their phones, they could time four different ways of covering the length of the netball court, go back inside and graph them, and I think those kids will remember forever that the steeper the lines, the faster the rate of change. Hmm.
1: Okay, that's that's an interesting way of bringing it practically into the classroom. Slightly different Celia. what's the evidence that involvement in sport and physical activity actually helps your academic achievement?
0: Uh, well, I mean, there's evidence that Sport New Zealand have collected most recently through the Active NZ report, but through the Sport and Education project, we've got evidence now from many, many secondary schools where we've seen improved academic achievement, and we've We've been really privileged to have NZCR support us in evaluating a lot of that. So it's been really quite robust, that evaluation. Um, So seeing improved academic achievement. For me, when I was teaching, one of the most uh, really kind of in my face things that I saw that perhaps didn't expect to see was this dramatic decrease in behaviour referrals. So, you know, we've all got pastoral systems in our our schools and, and we saw from a year 10 group going into a year 11, uh, sport and education class their behaviour referrals decreased dramatically whereas when we'd compared that with a control group there was actually an increase for some other kids so you know I think just that sort of sense of belonging as well and that sense of community when you engage with kids with something that they know that has real meaning to them it, it, it helps them with that engagement and then therefore that achievement so we've seen that across lots of different schools different deciles different rural city um, single-sex co-ed, so it, it's definitely something that has been, been proven.
2: Yeah, that, that's in the New Zealand context, but this project was growing out of um, some overseas research, uh, a lot of it, uh, well across the world, showing positive correlation between uh, physical activity, of which sport's just a context, and academic achievement. One of the documents that attracted our attention early on was a document called Brain Boost at the University of Western Australia, which is a bit of a um, summary of the research from around the world, the world that does provide that correlation. It's not under, well understood why. Does mm. being physically active improve perhaps behaviours which are necessary for learning in the classroom? Is it that cognitive function uh, that the brain requires about remembering and concentrating requires good oxygen flow and being physically active increases the oxygen flow? Um, there's a whole lot of theories about why it might happen, but the fact mm. is it does happen. And does
1: it have to be organised sport or can it just be... Activity, uh, Lisa. What do you think?
3: Doesn't have to be organised sport, and in fact, the the Active um, New Zealand 2007 data looks at organised and informal, and there is um, a higher high number of kids playing unorganised sport, which might be, you know, lunchtime games, after-school basketball, whatever. Yeah. Is, is in that? It definitely doesn't need to be organised. it's a little alarming um, that of the eleven hours that's spent for kids aged twelve to fourteen. Um, actively involved in sport that only 2.1 hours of that is at school. When you think about how long kids are in the classroom I'm now uh, with my kids six hours five times a week, 30 hours and only two of that is being monitored as the kids say well we're getting our physical activity through in our class time um, and that that brings up lots of sort of questions around um, if we are engaging in a sport and e type model um, we'd pro- you'd probably see that increase and I would you'd probably. You're going to jump and Celia, that in sport and ed schools, those figures would bring up averages because two hours a week sounds pretty low in mm. class, what kids see, I suppose, is class time.
1: Yeah, there could be those who'd be alarmed at the sort of increasing that. Um, some parents, for example, might say, My children go to school to go to class and learn not to play sports.
0: I think, though, what Alyssa is saying is it's not just about that going to play sport. I think, as I said, I've got two projects that have got sport in their name. Fundamentally because they're funded by Sport New Zealand but actually when we go in and contextualise that with with staff and with students we have to open that up much bigger than sport because actually the label sport's quite a barrier for a lot of people and and kids are doing a lot more than just organised sport so what we're saying is you know kids need to be active within their school day we do them a real disservice when they turn up at school as five year olds and suddenly it's sit down you know and we've got that data that says sit less move more sleep well that came out to schools recently so what can we do as teachers to ensure that our kids are moving more within that school day and learning through those experiences so it's not just moving to get them outside and move and play a game but it's actually learning through that movement.
2: So I think that you know, sport can be an off-putting word I think you've you know, raised a good point David in that you know, some, you say sport and you've lost a lot of people um, straight away.
1: Why is that, do you think?
2: Oh, I think, you know, the, it, we've all got things we hate. And, you know, if you try to mandate something that somebody hates, they're going to find a reason not to do it anyway. So. Yeah. But I, th- I think that what this is, if you take sport out, this is about um, good effective teaching practice. This is about having an engaging context, using effective pedagogy, cross-curriculum areas for both delivery and assessment, which is just really good teaching practice. And sport happens to be the context under which this project was delivered. And if you're looking for a mass engagement tool, there are lots of them. Sport's one, there's technology, there's music, there's a whole lot of things you could use. But the the data that we have says that there are only about 5% of New Zealand kids who absolutely hate sport. And so if you're going to use a mass engagement tool, you're going to get a pretty good buy-in. And while we're talking about that in a curriculum sense, I want to take just put out there for the rest of the discussion that I don't want to ignore sport as a pure tool either and we talk about some of the of ends of the curriculum. can curriculum by being in sport we talk about through sport with the curriculum being in sport shouldn't be ignored and I, I mean, I'm a living example I'm sure there are plenty of them that I probably wouldn't be here talking to you now if it wasn't for my school sport because I probably wouldn't have finished my in those days seventh form year because I was there to sport was what was getting me through the gate and the first stage of engagement is to get someone through the gate. And I went through the gate largely because I was involved in my school sport. As a product of that, I stayed long enough to be able to get a qualification, go to university and do what I've done. Uh, so I don't want to minimise the place of sport as a pure tool either. It's an interesting point,
1: though, isn't it? You talked about the 5% of kids who yeah. who aren't keen on sport. and I mean, that's a pretty impressive number, 95%. are, ah, so that makes it useful, that a useful tool. I should come clean and so say I was one of the 5%. I hated sport at school. I was terrible at it. wore glasses couldn't see left-handed and big-footed, and actually was made to feel quite out of place at my school, which was very sports-centric. Sure.
2: How do you cater for those kids? Well, I think that anything has a uh, capacity to be delivered poorly, and sports included in that, and the dangers of delivering sport poorly by making it too competitive, by not listening to you know the student voice about what it is that interests them about sport and, what, and building on those... Um, I think you've really got to do that you've got to not everybody will be interested in sport and not everybody should be and this is not for everybody so you will have a certain percentage that um, it's just not the tool for but if it's delivered well if you take the students interests find out what they are interested in you don't say right well this, we're doing uh, rugby cup and you've turned off half the population you don't like rugby you know mm. what is it that kids want to do how do I take their interests is it with anything in the and build that into engagement, them, and I think you have to, you know, start with the students. Let's just talk briefly about um, some of the non-traditional sports which are coming through. Yeah, hugely important. Um, young people are exposed to so many opportunities through uh, the world of technology and media really these days that they've never seen before, and sport has evolved like everything else in the world uh, as time goes on. And, and the New Zealand secondary school sports calendar is at probably about a hundred more events than there used to be, say, 10 years ago, um, and they include all sorts of exciting things like sport climbing, which is now an Olympic sport, and three-on-three versions of basketball and adventure racing and downhill mountain biking and and bunches of stuff that kids do and often these are things that are are done in a less competitive environment often they are less uh, less formal competitions i don't think there's anything such thing as social sport but certainly less formal environments in which sport takes place and young people if you ask them what they want most out of their sport and there's a lot of studies been done on this uh, it's the top ones are all about social capital it's about having fun and being with their friends uh, Winning still important to those kids, but it's further down the down the scale of what they want. And
1: also, you want to talk about yoga. I yeah,
3: I just wanted to bring sort of, um, I guess, when you think yoga, you're not necessarily thinking sport, but bringing. Um, the idea of into the classroom and i'm talking the actual physical environment and so when we're sort of thinking about not having the spaces to do things you don't necessarily need amazing facilities you can do things um quite literally in your classroom and yoga in schools is a program that's been running at avalon intermediate and in some other schools around um, wellington for the last couple of years and the kids are getting um, incredible exposure and opportunities to engage in yoga practice up to twice a week, 45 minute sessions and it is really um, creating incredible culture within the class and amongst the school and giving kids a toolkit really of strategies of how um, how to breathe, how to calm down, how to take things like mindful minutes before maybe reacting in a way that is is less helpful. You know, the benefits of yoga on the body, well, there's lots of science um, to support that, but the benefits of yoga on the mind, I think, from a teaching perspective, is quite phenomenal. And we've been very lucky to have uh, seedlings yoga in in our schools with Sarah Warnock, and it's gone right through the school. Every teacher participates, and for us as teachers, getting two 45-minute yoga sessions is unbelievable, um, huh. we're incredibly lucky, that's from a teaching perspective, so we talk about teacher Well, wellbeing, uh, well I'm pretty well on the, in those two times 45 minute slots, and the kids just have different ways of dealing, reacting um, and being, and then you link the yoga to learning and we've got a really um, conducive environment for the learning to happen, they're calm, they're focused, they're ready to go.
1: Your sound school, school sounds as it's very progressive in all of these areas.
3: Yes, we are Avalon Intermediate. Absolutely is, and they've got some good leadership in there, and uh, their leadership
0: team, and their principal as well, which is it's helpful for me. Yeah, one of the um, one of the awesome things that we're seeing both um, the rise of extracurricular and also as a context used within the curriculum is traditional Māori games. So we've got these um, wonderful, you know, secondary school Kurahe champions um, championships, but seeing that filter through to intermediate and primary as well, which is fantastic. Um, uh, sorry,
1: for the benefit of listeners who aren't familiar, what are traditional Maori games?
0: Well, there are multitude of traditional Maori games, but they are just um, you know they they are what they they sound like really they are those games that have been used for for many, many years to practice i guess originally in terms of preparing for for warfare, hmm. but now have turned into quite a recreational pursuit. Um, he probably is the most popular um, another really popular one with the schools that we teach is um, Tapawai, um, Te Uru but there are heaps that you could go on and, and look into so they're a wonderful way of connecting with local marae and iwi, um, you know again talking about those community partnerships in schools um, they're a great way to introduce um, te reo into your into your mm-hmm. school and actually use it in a context rather than it being quite siloed and for our primary school teachers that we've been working with in terms of supporting them with PE, professional learning. For them, um, you know, there are a lot of teachers that have felt really frightened about Mm -hmm. feeling like they have to be an expert in football or rugby or netball. Now when you, you know, you position yourselves like that you're setting yourself up to fail really because you're teaching kids that go along and get coaching and that every week or every Saturday and then you've also got kids in your class that will always position themselves as experts and you know you can have quite a range of ability whereas you take something like a traditional Māori game and it becomes a real leveller because you haven't got any experts in your class. You've got kids that will naturally be more physically able and pick things up quicker but they can then teach the other kids and game like Hiurahi you will find a role for every kid in your class in that game and they will be successful. Um, you would have loved it. <laughs> you would have loved it when you were back at school you know so I think um, 40 for, years too late <laughs> for, for teachers it builds their confidence because suddenly they don't have to feel like they're an expert in something that kids know well and you know it does kind of provide a much better leveler in the classroom for kids. so I's there a
1: risk um, that we are taking certain groups of students and trying to push them towards sport? is that a problem, what can we do about it?
0: You know, I don't think succeeding in sport and succeeding in academic have to be mutually exclusive, and it's about, in any case, and we've mentioned it a few times, it's about that effective pedagogy, it's about knowing your learners, so you want your learners to have the best possible outcomes, so if we're improving outcomes for them in their sporting experiences, if we're improving outcomes for them in their academic and in their social context, then we're doing the right thing for all learners, I think.
3: You're playing to these st- to these strengths, students' strengths, and that means accelerating in in physical activity and sport, and therefore being more engaged in the learning that follows that and sits alongside that. And so, absolutely agree. Not mutually exclusive. You're not either academic or sporty in this in this project in this work. Mm-hmm. All of the things you bring to the table to school, and being able to support me to fly through there and not pigeon uh, or separate what I can do really well with what I can't, and only measure me on what I considered um, academic. Yep. And and through that amazing um, support and me flourishing, I then engage in the let's say less boring or less um, exciting aspects. Perhaps and maybe that's writing up that great experience I've had at Turbo Touch last week. Yeah, but I'm engaged in that now because we won that and we felt incredible. And now when the teacher's asking us to sit down and create a write a piece, what can I pin that piece to? Oh, that's right, the feelings and experiences I had in Turbo. We our team won and we were awesome, and I scored lots of tries, and I'm proud of that is my wonderful piece of writing that's engaged and, and empowered me and lit something in me to want to write. Yeah, thank you. No, that's,
2: that's, it's, um, you it's interesting why we should single sport out in a possibly negative um, context around being in the curriculum. And, and, and how is that different to the other interests and strengths that young people that come through the gate have? So if I'm a principal and, and a student walks through my gate and they are academically really talented, I've probably got gifted programs, gifted and talented programs and opportunities for those students in in my school and a structure that Mm. will build on their interest and their strengths. If they come in and they're musically talented, I've probably got an itinerant program, giving them extra tuition. I've probably got bands and choirs and orchestras and goodness knows what. And the same across performing arts and holidays. Why, if a student walks through the gate and they're sportingly talented, would I not take that student's strengths and interest and build on them?
1: Oh, no reason whatsoever, yeah. I imagine. I've been um, looking at some reports which suggest that the um, the teacher participation in sport is actually dropping over the last few years. It's getting harder and harder to get teachers involved. Obviously an important factor at the moment with the shortage of teachers and, and the, the fact that they're having to work harder and harder just to keep their heads above water. I'm sure you'd all agree with that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> what, how, what do we do about that? How do you get it's more a teachers multi, it's a multi. It's a complex problem. Firstly we 've got an aging teaching force and we've got to been there and done that um, i've had my done my turn so i'm missing that we've got a cohort of young teachers that are different to what they used to be. Uh, if you were a talented sporting person, often teaching was an attractive career because uh, you could do physical education perhaps which was you know a spin off to that sporting interest um, now sports in itself is a career for so many of those young people there going off and becoming professional sports people or working in the sports industry and administration or whatever they're doing. So the, the teachers, I think, we were getting a different, um, and, and workload is not a red hearing as you point out. So mm-hmm. It's a complex issue, I think. Mean. Well,
1: we're coming up to the end of our half, half hour. I'd just like to go around the table now and ask all of you um, if you have any final thoughts and any particular changes you'd like to see made in... And the curriculum and the way schools are run to, to enhance the way that sport is used in schools. Alyssa, we'll start with you.
3: I think it's really important to understand the difference between um, sport and being active. But I, uh, Tautoko Gary's comments that sport, is singular, is also something, is something separate but very powerful as well. For accelerating outcomes, I would encourage people to read the, read the Brain Boost uh, research. I think that naysayers can really get some value out of seeing that we aren't disadvantaging kids by being more active or taking them out of traditional lessons. In fact, we are enhancing learning. Um, I think that the the more you understand the benefits, and then are equipped with the skills, that your classroom will become um, a pretty central place for building student well-being through. Um, actively in, engaging in education and being sparked to, uh, to learn as well and I, yeah, I think some more reading perhaps and, and really understanding what a sport and education model framework means. Um, there's wonderful pieces of evidence, there's such great stories that are out there and I think people should get on board and read um, some more of that and all. We'll, perhaps settle myths around what sport takes away. Actually, let's think about what it brings and, and what it adds.
0: In that kind of co-curricular space, I'd like us to to really look at the value of, of sport in that space and what it does offer our young people in terms of um, contributing to their wellbeing, but also contributing to, you know, those employability skills. Like, we look at what employers are looking for now in, in, in the workforce and, You can look at those skills so you know being able to relate well to others and work with others and critical thinking and communication and problem solving and decision making you know kids are doing those every day when they're out in the sports field Um, if we can actually celebrate that and work with those kids to identify it so not just that we as adults can identify it but they can identify and then articulate it I think that could be really powerful, and I think in terms of engaging teachers in, in that extracurricular stuff as well, I think it comes back again to those key relationships with our learners. We have to know our learners well, and getting to know them in any kind of extracurricular, co-curricular activity is a really powerful way to do that and then bring back into the classroom. I'd, I'd love to see now with you know no national standards, with all these reviews, I'd love to see people actually in terms of the curriculum, pick up that New Zealand curriculum document again and go back to the front of it and think more about how they're empowered as teachers and what context they can use and and how they can really um, kind of reframe success for their kids perhaps. And so it's not just about reading and writing tests, but actually success looks like a whole lot of different things and, and sport can be really powerful, sport, physical activity, physical education. So.
2: I'll echo the support for what Alyssa and Celia have said around our curriculum and won't talk about that. Um, I, I'll talk about I think there's a real need for uh, leadership um, and recognition of what sport can bring to uh, not just the physical um, well-being of young people but to their emotional, mental, social connectedness, our community's connectedness. You know? One of the most important Uh, things for a young person to have is a sense of belonging, particularly in their teenage years. Sport delivered well can really contribute to that. And, you know, we've got horrific statistics around youth suicide and all those sorts of things. And I think sport has a big part to play if delivered well. And not all about competition and failure and success, but about the attributes that sport can teach young people. To do to achieve that, I think uh, we need we need recognition and leadership from at, at both levels, both at the global level, um, from the government down, from the ministry. You know, there's no one in the ministry with sport over their door, and yet it's yeah. a big part of what happens in schools. The funding towards sport is is pretty inadequate compared to other parts of the curriculum, or to, to the uh, defined curriculum. And we need that leadership in schools that is dedicated around sport. We have it a secretary system. Um, where schools have sports directors, etc. But we need that from the the top down, uh, not just in the individual schools. In individual schools where there's good leadership, sport is delivered really well, but we really do need a recognition at the top end of what sport can provide. Thank you,
1: Gary, Um, and thank you also, Celia and Alyssa. Appreciate your contribution.
2: Thank you.
0: And that wraps up this episode of Teaching Today podcast. Thanks to all our panel members for their insight and their time and thanks to you out there listening. Please join the discussion on our social media platforms and keep a lookout for upcoming podcasts posted on our website, educationcouncil.org.nz.